Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Your favorite White Sox podcast is a new name, but the same great taste. It's time to talk shop and talk socks on the Sox Machine podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's May 16, 2018. The Chicago White Sox just completed their season series against the Pittsburgh Pirates today at PNC Park as the Pirates won the game 3-2 and they swept the season series against the White Sox in 2018 in which the White Sox are now 10-29 on the season. We'll recap the series, preview the upcoming series against the Texas Rangers, discuss Robinson Cano's PED suspension, and if we have time, marvel just how bad the American League Central is as we are one quarter of the season done with 2018. Just like that, folks. Already 25% done with 2018. Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Any new home improvement projects you are working on? Well, I think it's going to be about landscaping uh, next couple of weeks. Had a long winter, so it took a while for things to come in. And now I'm thinking about uh, perhaps adding some new shrubbery in front. Got some weeding nice. to do. Nice. Good times. So I can provide breathless updates on that if you'd like. Yeah, shrubbery, man. I mean, shrubbery is in, isn't it? I don't know what the trends are today in landscaping. I don't know either, but I really don't know much about it. I have to YouTube it. I have to uh, go to my <laughs> neighborhood uh, landscaping store. I had a background in it. I, I used to work at one in uh, high school, but don't know if I'm up with the time. So need a bit hmm. of a refresher. So, hmm. yes, That's, I like growing food, not so much flowers. 
I think like trying to grow a tomato or this one time I tried to grow jalapeno peppers and uh, they went from green to red. And I hmm. thought that was bad, but everybody told me, no, that's just what they do. If you just let them continue to grow. And uh, yeah, there you go, folks. That's our home improvement section. <laughs> this has um, been the Green Sox <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Well, before we talk about the White Sox that are at 10 and 29, we do have another topic that we could talk about instead of rock bottom. Uh, how was your trip to North Carolina? We didn't get a chance to hear on Monday. Fantastic. It got off to a rocky start in uh, Charlotte watching Michael Kopech hit a wall in the fourth inning. That kind of came out of nowhere. And unfortunately, he was not made available after the game. I don't know if it was his choice or you know, the uh, you know, the staff there just not wanting to do it. Um, you know, facing my intense grilling with my, uh, you know, um, my uh, gotcha journalism. But uh, anyway, couldn't figure out exactly why. So that wasn't uh, great. But uh, yeah, watching the uh, you know, watching the Canapolis Intimidators in Asheville, which has a ridiculously small stadium, as we saw from the score of the last game, 14 to 12. Um, yeah, 373 to center, 320 to the right center power alley, 297 to right. Uh, pretty insane. But uh, yeah, Asheville is fantastic. Great food, great beer. Uh, and uh, and the stadium's nice, too. It just kind of built into this really small uh, kind of hillside, mountainside. And, and so they just kind of use the land that's there and they drew really well. It's a nice game day experience, but, uh, yeah, really hard to pitch there and, and made the hitters look good. And then, uh, yeah, wrapped it up Winston Salem with, uh, you know, nice, um, yeah, just a nice game. Nice all around performances. Uh, Alex call had a nice game. Taekwon Forbes, I thought was really impressive. So, hmm. um, yeah, it was just a nice little round trip of the state. If I ever played at a stadium that was 290 down the right field line, I would try to bat left-handed. I don't think I ever played at any high school diamonds that had that kind of dimensions. Yeah, so there were a couple, yeah, couple deepish flyouts that ended up turning into doubles. Just, you know, uh, the, the outfielder goes back, you know, three steps and then just turns his back to the infield and waits for the ball to carry him off the wall if it does. <laughs> <laughs> I think the walls are like 36 feet high, so they try oh, to make up man. They try to make up for it with wall height, but there's only so much you can do before you just realize that, you know, any any kind of decently hit fly ball to right is automatically a problem. That's crazy. Well, I'm glad you had a good trip, man. And unfortunately, Michael Kopech didn't pitch well. Was there anything that really jumped out at you watching his start where you would say, uh-oh, he needs to be in Charlotte for an extra month because he's taking a step back? Not so much. I mean, that one, and, and, you know, if I could have talked to him or, you know, Mark Redzelonic or anybody, if they made anybody available, I would have liked to ask. There was one um, plate appearance in the third inning before his problem started where he let go of a slider and it just kind of airmailed it well over the, the screen. Nobody's on base, so it didn't matter, but just hit up you know, well up the screen. And, you know, it's the kind of pitch that makes the audience go, oh, you know, mm-hmm. just out of, you know, it, but it looked like, you know, a hot night, you know, could have slipped. And then the next pitch hit the uh, infield grass. Like it was a fastball that didn't even hit the dirt, it hit the grass, you know, and skipped well up on the catcher. And so that's where you think, is he having problems with his grip? Is he having problems with his footing? Is, you know, it's just what's going on here. And then you got through that inning, but then the next thing all came apart. And so I would have just liked to revisit that one and say, you know, what happened? And there is a weird mound visit later in the game where Grudzlanek, you know, it was a mound visit, but, you know, given that uh, Alfredo Gonzalez, the catcher, he was looking 
not, you know, at Grudzlonic or the pitcher. He's just kind of looking off to the side. And I don't know if, you know, because the game gotten out of hand, Grudzlonic was just kind of going out there to chew people out. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, it wasn't that, uh, you know, that kind of mound visits where you're discussing strategy. But, uh, you know, he's also kind of kicking at the mound. So I don't know if, you know, at, at one point I thought that Gonzalez is looking out to see if the grounds crew is going to come out to maybe repair something. So that was kind of odd. And another thing I would have liked to ask about, but that didn't happen, of course. So um, you know, it's just kind of a mystery to me. But I think, you know, that's uh, one case where he's had now two starts in a row where, you know, things have gotten kind of out of hand with his control. And so um, I think, you know, it's to the point where he does need to show something on Charlotte to get back on track, you know, a nice six inning outing. And I don't think he's too far off. His stuff was up and he was getting some ugly swings and some compromised at bats. So it wasn't a stuff thing. It was just a, a control thing. And I don't know if it was a composure thing or a um, yeah, well, probably, part of it was probably a composure thing, but also I don't know if it was an environmental thing, like something where he just you know cannot stride right. Hmm. Interesting. We'll be fascinated to see on how he handles his next start because, again, back-to-back outings by Michael Kopech not getting out of the fourth inning. Uh, so hopefully he can get back on track because it would be great to see him in Chicago uh, sooner than later. Speaking on about pitchers struggling starting pitchers sooner. for the white Sox, <laughs> struggling uh, sooner rather yeah, than later yeah very true uh let's recap this pittsburgh Pirates series jim uh the first inning struggles which bless hector santiago a nifty little double play one four three uh to get out of the first inning not allowing a run which is terrific because the four previous games the white Sox gave up 15 runs in the first inning in the three yeah. games against the Cubs and the first against the Pirates. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't, you know, it's it's not like you could just pinpoint this and be like, well, the young guys, Jim, you know, Lucas Giolito, Carson Falmer, Ronaldo Lopez, all struggled in the first inning, uh, but also James Shields did as well. And it, it was bizarre because, like, the first Cubs game, it, it didn't start on time, and then you had Don Cooper getting upset with the home plate umpire because Carson Falmer... Uh, you know, his routine was out of whack. Do you have any idea what's going on here for the starting pitchers for the White Sox in the first inning? Is it so much as they're having a tough time getting ready out of the gates? Or do you think opposing teams have a good book on the White Sox starters? They know what to expect and what to pounce on. I don't, you know, I, I don't know because, you know, all these starters aside from, you know, maybe James Shields, but even he's kind of reinvented are all, you know, somewhat unfamiliar to us. And, and, you know, in case of Giolito and Fulmer and Lopez, they're all going for, through their first full season. So I don't know if, you know, anybody really knows what to expect right away. And, you know, I, I think when you look at different pitchers, I think, you know, Giolito, I think it's a control thing. I think he just has a, um, you know, his control's been kind of iffy all season. I think it flares up in the first inning, especially. Uh, he's walking, you know, I'm looking at these stats. The White Sox are giving up a 353 average, 450 on base percentage, and 593 slugging percentage in the first inning. And nobody looks good. I mean, Lucas Giolito is faring the best out of anybody. He's giving up a 296 average and 462 uh, OBP is walking more than 20% of the batters he faces in the first inning. So I think, you know, a guy like him, you know, it's a control problem. And James Shields might be, you know, given that he's a crafty righty and, you know, we hear Steve Stone talk about, talk about it all the time with sinker ballers, you know, how they need an inning to kind of tire themselves out. I think with Shields, it's more a matter of, you know, what's working for him that day. You know, he has such a deep repertoire of pitches that he, you know, 
kind of exchanges throughout the course of a start based on what's working for him. You know, different speed breaking balls. You know, he sometimes throws his cutter more, sometimes abandons it entirely. And I think it takes him a while to figure out what's working for him. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Reynaldo Lopez has been better than the others, but he just didn't really have anything going for him, uh, you know, on uh, Tuesday night. So I think it's just a matter of everybody having something different that goes wrong for them. And, yeah, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, partially just young guys not yet confident in their stuff and getting out of whack pretty easily. See, that's so the confidence thing. That's something that I've been noticing with Lucas Giolito that he's been starting with all of his post-game interviews, Jim, is that he wants to touch on how confident he is in his ability. And I, I feel like this is like when you're trying to lose weight and you talk to yourself in the mirror and be like, I will lose 20 pounds. I will <laughs> lose 20 pounds. I am confident. I can do this. Yeah. Stuart like, Smalley. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's, that's a great reference. I mean, I, that's how I feel right now. When I hear Lucas Giolito come out and say, no matter what happened today, I'm still confident in my abilities. But as you mentioned, that maybe part of his first inning struggles and the whole staffs is a lack of confidence, baby, in their stuff uh, out of the gate. Uh, can it be both? Can you still be a confident starting pitcher in your abilities and also not be confident on how well you're going to throw that day after the bullpen? Yeah, it might be like, you know, perhaps two different kinds of confidence they're talking about. You know, you might be thinking like, you know, big picture where. Um, you know, he's done being a prospect and so he's gotten that point and, uh, you know, certainly doesn't make it any better to say like, well, I really don't know what I'm doing. And you know, we saw that last year with Giolito and Charlotte when he did express doubts about his performances or about his mechanics, about his you know stuff. And you had a couple of rough patches in a row and people start to wonder, you know, and it kind of sets off all sorts of alarms when it's just a pitcher who is. Um, you know, undergoing mechanical changes and the White Sox are restoring his delivery. And yeah, it's it's not something to be alarmed about. He's just speaking a little bit too honestly in athlete speak. And so, you know, it causes a crisis when you don't see the numbers are there. So it might be something like, well, there's no point in me being completely honest about, uh, you know, my mental state or about, um, you, know, you know, about how I'm feeling about my stuff. So I'm just going to, you know, keep reaffirming, um, you know, what what. I want to be saying, but it could also be the fact that, you know, he doesn't think it's anything mental. It's maybe just more a matter of, you know, physical confidence, if you will, like, you know, physical confidence that he's, you know, got the muscle memory down. You know, it's, it's a lot like, or at least how I liken it would be like golf, you know, where you just kind of stand in the tee box and you feel okay. But, you know, maybe you're just your muscle memory, your, your physical confidence of doing everything right and getting everything on track immediately, you know, out of the, you know, first inning, first tee, you know, whichever one you're, you're discussing the analogy just isn't there. And so it takes you a while to get everything locked up, even if you do go to the driving range beforehand or throw a great bullpen, you know, get on the tee, it's a different story. So, you know, perhaps a little bit of both where, you know, maybe he's, you know, trying to fake it till he makes it quote wise, but also just could be more of a matter of just, uh, you know, whatever reason, you know, maybe his mechanics are still not entirely his own. And so it takes a while for him to, you know, lock into it. Well, Yohan Mikata is also back off the DL. That was another big positive out of this series uh, for the White Sox. Well, the first big positive of the series for the White Sox. The starting pitching, not doing well in the first inning is not a big positive. Uh, but, you know, Jim, what are your thoughts on Mikata coming back off the DL 
because uh, we we didn't get a chance to see him the last couple of weeks. Obviously, his presence in the lineup, you could feel it that there is a missing dynamic player, especially the top of the lineup. He missed a huge home run by a couple feet in the first game and actually hit the Pirates charity advertising sign. It would have probably flew out of PNC Park uh, if it stayed fair. Uh, so it's great to see him that he's still barreling up the ball, even though he had a couple weeks off. Uh, but what what are your thoughts about Mikata coming back after the DL? Well, it's great to be the short answer, but no, I liked his at-bats. You know, he's, he's didn't seem to lose anything, um, you know, groove-wise. Had some nice at-bats. Like you said, missed the homer. Uh, had a nice single. Uh, you know, worked some counts. He didn't strike out in the second game or, or, or today's game. Uh, even against in the left in, uh, sorry, in the late innings as a uh, facing a left-handed pitcher, uh, right-handed swing, um, you know, facing a lefty with good stuff, put a good swing on it, you know, cracked a liner to center just happened to be hit right at the center fielder so um you know that's and that's the kind of thing where you know goes in the late innings puts a great swing right-handed swing in a pitch avoid striking out all good things so yeah it's great to have him back i think it's just more a matter of uh you know the case where you know you watch some of the outfield defense with nicky delmonico having problems going on balls hit directly over his head and you know, Polka not really having a range and, and Larry Garcia not coming up with a it would have been a tough catch, but he was there for it. Just couldn't make the catch against the wall. Uh, it would have been nice if, you know, he were coming back to fill a greater position of need rather than second base, which, um, you know, even when he's out is handled by major leaguers. Well, I'm glad you brought up the outfield because, yes, both Nicky Delmonico and Daniel Polka are not very good defensively. Yeah. And after the game, according to Kevin Powell of WGN Radio, he was on for our season preview podcast. Uh, Kevin spoke with manager Rick Renteria after the game. And Renteria, seriously, is suggesting the idea of Yomer Sanchez getting playing time in the outfield. Are you a fan of this idea, Jim? I don't hate it. Um, He did have it appear... Well, he didn't. He had that appearance uh, last year in right field where he caught a uh, caught a ball and looked very proud of himself. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that came to mind. But um, you know, given uh, you know the all sorts of the the depth chart issues that the White Sox have, you know, for better or for worse, you know, part of the problem is that Matt Davidson is doing a little too well. <laughs> so, you know, it's you want to have him in the lineup every day and in, in, in a National League park or. Um, you know, especially in National League Park, where you want to have your um, best hitters and best fielders out there. He, you know, he handles third base okay. So, ideally, you'd have him, Yolmer, and you know, Mancada all in the same lineup, and you know, without somebody making a position change to one they're not really familiar with or comfortable with, um, then I think that uh, yeah, just uh, there's no way to do it. So I think with Sanchez. I think he has the physical skills to be an okay outfielder. Um, you know, maybe not going to be a, a complete range monster like you know Angle, where you're able to go gap to gap. But I think you know when you watch him, you know, make the catch and that pop up over his head at shortstop. I think he has decent instincts out there, and you know, I think he's got enough arm for it. Especially to say if he played left field, I think that'd be okay. Um, just you know, when it comes to infielders playing the outfield, um, I, I think my greater concern is just injuries. You know, trying to make sure that. People know their responsibilities, know not to run into the center fielder, run in the shortstop, call people off. Um, you know, that right. the infielders recognize that. I think that's really the bigger in, uh, issue. We saw that with Mancada and Willie Garcia last year. We saw that with uh, Delmonico. Um, 
with a collision in spring training. So, you know, that's a big risk. And given how poorly the White Sox outfield is playing and how often they're changing guys around and <laughs> the lack of experience, um, I think that would be my bigger concern is now you're adding another inexperienced player to that mix and you just don't want guys running into each other because that just makes a bad season worse. So uh, I think he has the skills for it to be, you know, make it an easier transition than others. Um, but yeah, I, I do wonder, you know, perhaps that it really won't be all that necessary as long as, you know, Davidson can play DH or first base or third base, you know, and they can mix guys around with first base and DH as well. I guess I'm trying to understand on what problem Renteria is trying to fix with the idea of having Yomar Sanchez getting playing time in the outfield, having Davidson get more defensive playing time at third base, because I'd still like to see Lurie Garcia be in the lineup every single day. I just, at this moment, it seems like if you have Yomar Sanchez go to the outfield gym, that it's going to impact maybe Nicky Delmonico's or Daniel Polka's playing time quite a bit. Yeah, I think it's trying to get outfielders in the corner so you can catch the ball or at least cover, <laughs> you know, catch the ball and cover more ground uh, than either are doing. And, um, you know, the frustrating thing about Delmonico is that sometimes he, I think laterally, um, you know, right to left, he's okay at the angles there. Like, you know, even uh, today's game where you try to make that diving catch yeah, that was a good risk to take. It was a good break. He took a good line. It was just slicing away from him. And then he re- he recovered, um, traced the ball on the warning track, got it in. They were able to cut down the runner at third. So, you know, that's the kind of play where he, you know, made a good run, made a good decision, uh, recovered well, made a good throw to the relay man. Like everything, you know, everything you'd want to see out of an experienced outfielder, he did. And then, you know, the game before and even uh, later in, on in today's game, uh, just any ball hit over his head, he just does not take a good angle to it, does not get, um, I think it was, it was Tom Pachork, um during one of his games where he talked about getting sideways to the ball. He, like, he does not get his body in line with the flight of the ball to where he can maintain that position all the way through the catch. So, you know, it's... A technique thing it's just an instinct thing and you know that it really isn't, that really isn't coming along so uh it seems like you know just for the pitching staff's sake given everything that they're having problems with um you know in front of them i think you know it would help to have somebody with better instincts behind him and i think you know when it's one thing you can't fault sanchez or say he doesn't have his instincts and so i think he could learn to play a decent left field um i would just worry really about um you know one that you know it, it doesn't get i i guess they don't have to go with that well too often just because, yeah, I don't think Davidson's a great third baseman. And, you know, it's still uncertain whether, you know, these offensive gains he's made are here to stay. But I think, you know, maybe uh, if you're really tired of watching Delmonico and Polka in corners, you know, perhaps that's one way to provide just a little bit of relief while putting a good lineup out there. Again, this is a blown opportunity for the Charlie Tilsons and the Jacob Mays of the world that supposedly – can play really good outfield defense, but because of injuries or just lack of effectiveness right now at the plate, uh, that's why the White Sox have Daniel Polka right now trying to play right field and Nicky Delmonico trying to play in left field. It'll be interesting and yeah. see if this uh, if this idea becomes reality. Well, and it's also the the other thing that's confusing about it is that Trace Thompson is around and oh yeah, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it just seems like an awkward existence there because. Yeah, he's not getting playing time and he's not, you know, he's kind of the answer for if you want an outfield, you know, good outfield defender in a corner. Um, yeah, but that just, he's not hitting and 
you know, it's not really clear what he brings to the table aside from okay corner defense. So, yeah, it's. I think if you're talking about moving Yolmer to the outfield and, and getting him played appearances there and innings there, um, then it just kind of makes me more confused as to why Trace Thompson is around. Or Polka, you know, one of the two, because I think Polka has been figured out a little bit at the plates, and so he just kind of provides brute strength, but um, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, the kind of offense that offsets bad corner defense. Well, before we preview the upcoming series against the Texas Rangers, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I use it all the time to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. As a matter of fact, I just use SeatGeek to buy four tickets for August 11th, as that's Jim Tomey Hall of Fame bobblehead day. So if you're a big fan of Jim Tomey, SeatGeek has some great deals going on right now for that August 11th game. And for the games upcoming, as the White Sox have a eight-game homestand, as they'll play four games against the Texas Rangers and four games against the Baltimore Orioles. And for SeatGeek right now, for those ticket prices against the Rangers, Thursday night, tickets start at $12, Friday night, $8, Saturday, $14, and Sunday, $7. And the importance of that is, for our listeners, the first time you use SeatGeek, you can get $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOCKSMACHINE. And if you have used SeatGeek before, SeatGeek is having a special offer for all Major League Baseball purchases. You can use promo code MACHINE to get $10 off your Major League Baseball ticket. So if you have nothing going on this weekend and you want to go to the stadium to watch the White Sox, either use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $20 off your first purchase or use MACHINE for $10 off White Sox tickets this upcoming weekend. And speaking of this upcoming four-game series against the Texas Rangers, Jim, let's break this down. The Texas Rangers are 17-27. and 27. They're last place in the American League West. Offensively, they are 27th in Major League Baseball, scoring 3.88 runs per game. The White Sox score 3.87 runs a game. They're 28th, so offensively, both teams are pretty even, uh, which I'm a bit surprised with from the Rangers because I just figured that they have more firepower than the White Sox do. Defensively, or at least run prevention-wise, the Rangers are allowing 5.33 runs per game. That's 27th in Major League Baseball. You want to guess where the White Sox are, Jim? Dead last. Dead last at 5.82 runs per game. Woo boy. This should yep. be a fun four-game series. Thursday night, 7.10 p.m. Central Time. It is the veterans. It is Cole Hamels against James Shields. Friday at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it's Doug Fister against Carson Fulmer. Saturday at 6.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Matt Moore against Lucas Giolito. And on Sunday, it is a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. It is Mike Miner against Ronaldo Lopez. And this is the key to the series, Jim. The worst 40-game stretch in Chicago White Sox history is 9-31. and 31. This occurred on July 24th, 1932 to September 4th, 1932. 
last year, from June 21st to August 4th, we endured on this podcast, Jim, a 10 and 30 run. And the White Sox are 10 and 29. So if they lose tomorrow, then we have gone through a 10 and 30 stretch already. We did that last year. Uh, but if they win, they could avoid that stretch, the worst stretch in our lifetime, Jim, mm-hmm. <laughs> as White Sox fans. Uh, something to also keep in mind, the White Sox won the first two games of the year, so they could still clinch the worst 40-game stretch yep. if they get swept. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. Anyways, okay, I talked about Bomb the Barrel on Monday's show, and you can't get worse than the worst. Something I am looking forward to is that, you know, we talked about Yoan Mikata batting right-handed Jim, and the thing is he doesn't get a lot of opportunities. Lately, it's just late in games where he's going up against relievers when teams want to flip him around. In this series, the Rangers are going to have three lefties, Cole Hamels, Matt Moore, and Mike Miner, so we'll get to see Mikata bat right-handed more. So that's what I'm looking forward to watching in this series. How about you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's one thing to watch, but really it's, you know, just coming down to, can they win games against a, a, you know, and, and they've played some tough teams. You know, the, the pirates are no slouch. You know, the Cubs are the Cubs. Um, you know, they've, they got waxed by the Astros. You know, they, they played some, yeah, and the Mariners are all right. You know, they've they played some teams that are, you know, have, either they're over 500 or, like in the case of the Twins, they, um, you know, have every expectation to be over 500, um, even if they're not right now. So, um, you know, the strength of schedule has been, you know, not favorable, or at least, you know, uh, it's one thing they can point to and saying, well, a lot of times we're getting outclassed. And, and this is a team that's uh, the Rangers that are basically, you know, on their level, you know, are close to it, uh, having all sorts of problems. Like you mentioned, the offense is bad, you know, especially uh, with Beltre out, you know, that's they're not going to get any better. Um, you know, the pitching staff has been kind of a mess. Uh, Hamels is good, but then the rest behind him a little bit iffy. Um, so, yeah, it, it seems like this would be the time where, you know, they should be able to put up some. You know, good run totals, be able to do some run prevention. <laughs> you know, they theoretically should be able to come away with a split, uh, which you know, even that has evaded them against uh, you know non-Kansas City opponents. So, um, you know, this would be the case where um, you know they're I think they're three and fifteen at home. Is that right? Let me double check that. Yep, three yep. and fifteen. Yeah. So I mean, like this would be the kind of opportunity where there really isn't an excuse. <laughs> yeah. uh, everybody's healthy. Everybody's you know active. The Rangers are not healthy. Um, you know, whatever argument you can form for the White Sox being outclassed or outmanned or outgunned does not really apply here. So, um, you know, whether it's the case of like when they played the Tigers early on or, you know, play the Rays when the Rays are really scuffling, um, you know, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, they'll help the Rangers out and, and you know, every, they're everybody's rebound basically. But for the time <laughs> being, this should be, you know, this should be an evenly matched series for once. Uh, the 2018 Chicago White Sox. Everyone's rebound. Yeah. This is an eight-game homestand. Four games against the Texas Rangers last in the American League West. After this series, four games against the Baltimore Orioles, who are not playing much better than the White Sox, and they're last in the American League East. So I agree with you, Jim. This is an opportunity where the White Sox can show some life Mm -hmm. or what we're going to hear in social media and the Sox machine comments, especially on Twitter, 
is that if they bomb this eight-game homestand, people are going to be ready for the White Sox to have the number one pick in the 2019 draft and say that a horrible eight-game stand here is going to be crucial in order for them to get that number one pick. So it's okay if they don't play well at home. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, I'm looking at the Orioles. You mentioned the Orioles. Their road record is 3-16. and 16. So right now, Something's got to get. Yeah. The uh, resistible force versus the movable object. Um, just yeah, win it's, four games in this homestand. Yeah. Like, just just go 500. <laughs> you know, that's... Yeah, I've always been the, uh, if you're going to lose, lose on the road. <laughs> it's gonna, yeah, don't yeah. lose at home. Exactly. Yeah, give the fans something to watch, you know, give a reason to show up. And yeah, right now they haven't. And this would be the kind of series where, yeah, it's just... Um, if they somehow do not win either of these series, you know, even split them, just, yeah, I don't know what you say. Right. Right. Especially if they get like, you know, if they have those demoralizing games where they, you know, trail early and never are able to position to even claw back. That's the, that's the real killer is, you know, that when they just look boring immediately within pitches. Well, so here's a question that I got via text message, and this is my buddy who's a Cubs fan. And he's watching this with in an eye that he's gone through this, right? The Cubs mm-hmm. fans have gone through this, but he made he made a very good point that Cubs fans always showed up. White Sox fans are not idiots; they're not going to pay for a bad product. They're not going to go to games. And he asked me, "Are the White Sox losing fans?" I don't know, and the fact that I have to answer saying I don't know. Uh, it is not a good sign if you are counting pennies for the Chicago White Sox at the moment. Because there are some White Sox fans that say it does not matter how many wins this team has this year. It doesn't matter how poorly they play. Okay, if you want to believe that, that's fine. But if you also at the same time want the White Sox to be buyers in the best free agency class we've ever seen in the history of the game and understand that the White Sox only spend money that they make, Jim... If people aren't going to go to games because the White Sox don't play well at home, how can Rick Khan have enough money, you know, to make a huge splash in free agency? It's like the the, the White Sox need fans to come to the ballpark, but fans are only going to come to the ballpark if the team shows life. And, and I think that this eight-game stretch can help. If, if they can play really well and inspire some confidence that – we're done with the crap baseball after the first 40 games of the year. And the weather gets better and the excitement of possibly seeing some of the top prospects coming, I, I think can help and everything will normalize. But if they continue this pace, I mean, Jim, if they go two and six in these next eight games, I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, we could be talking about them going five and 21 on the next Sox Machine Live <laughs> next week. No, it's, yeah, it's. Um... You know, it's it's entertainment. You know, that's what that's you know what fans show up for. It's dollars for entertainment, and it's not entertaining. There's nothing remotely entertaining about it right now. The way they're playing, and so um, you know, I don't know if they're losing fans. I would just say that they go dormant. You know, they, um, you know, there's they don't. That's sh- a good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, they like they just they look at the record, they look at uh, the stats, they they watch a couple games and realize like I'm going to do something else in my summer. You know, I'm going to go to Six Flags or I'm going to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe Dallas, go. Up, yeah, yeah, just you know pick some other weekends to put my money towards and I'll check with them next year. Um, and, and I think that could be the case, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, they're not, there are no expectations to really 
beat or underperform. Everybody had them set low. And so like, you know, whether they won 72 games or 60 games doesn't really matter uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the what fans were expecting and, and what they're really holding out for. But yeah, I just, it, it's a case where, and it's bad for us that, uh, you know, they just check out for the year and figure they'll wait for the hot stove season and see who they add. Well, at this point, it's the diehards that are sticking around. Yep. And we thank you. Yes, and we love you, but we're 25% into the season, Jim. Yeah. And now the White Sox are tell, dealing with diehards. And the diehards, I mean, I, I went and saw Infinity War this past weekend, Jim. It cost me as much to go see a movie for two people as it, go, as it costs to go to a baseball game. Hmm. And I got to admit, if they were going to continue to play this poorly at home, I'd probably rather go to the movies than go watch the White Sox game. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't be blaming anyone for that. Yeah, that that's why they got in these next eight games. They got to hunker down and focus, and at least come out of these eight games five hundred. Win at least four of them, maybe win six of them, but do not go like one and seven or two and six because that's going to have a major impact on how many fans you're going to see at the ballpark in June and July. When there's, you know, there's no competition. The Blackhawks are not in the postseason. The Bulls aren't doing anything. The Bears haven't reported to training camp. Like, this is perfect time for baseball. And it's a good opportunity for the White Sox to draw. Um, so I, I feel like these eight games are important on a money factor for the White Sox. That it'd be nice if they could inspire some confidence that they could play better at home uh, for the rest of the summer. I just feel bad for their their ticket folks because you know what can you say? You know, if, you are right. What is how do you sell tickets right now for the White Sox? Yeah, and and so yeah, I just like to see entertainment. You know, put up ten runs. Um, you know, maybe a walk off is too much to ask. But, you know, a late inning rally. Just have fans leaving the park wanting to come back. Right. I think the last home game that they won was a walk off by Trace Thompson. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah, and that would have been you know, like, and that's the kind of game where you know I was watching that at home and realizing like, oh, that'd be perfect. You know, even if there's twelve thousand fans, you go to a game, um, you don't have to fight with lines for parking or food or beer or bathroom. Mm-hmm. Watch a great game, see a great ending, get out of the parking lot easily. So I mean, like there are drawing, you know, there 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 are uh, selling points to going to these games even when they're not good and drawing well. But you know, they just have to give you something to, you know, maybe they won't meet you halfway, but even you know, three quarters or like a, a quarter of the way would be nice. I think for the White Sox to be successful money-wise to make a big splash in free agency the upcoming years, I think they have to average 20,000 people a game. That's 50% capacity. Right now, they're at about 15,000. And I think that number can drop. I don't think that number is at the bottom. I think that number could even go lower. Uh, so we'll see. Hopefully the White Sox... Uh, do turn it around here. Uh, I do want to touch on as far as the news with Robinson Cano and the American League Central, but another word from one of our sponsors, RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar with the core ingredients doing all the talking. It's simply like eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds with no BS. And it turns out that real food ingredients actually taste good. And I love RX Bar. I love the blueberry flavors in the morning for breakfast. And when I have my sweet tooth, the chocolate sea salt really bails me out. And the cool news is that RX Bar, they already came in 11 delicious flavors. And starting this week, there are three new flavors, mango, pineapple, 
peanut butter and berries and chocolate hazelnut. I tried the chocolate hazelnut. If you're a big Nutella fan or like that combination of chocolate hazelnut, it's terrific. Next week, starting on May 21st, RX Bar is going to introduce RX Nut Butter. So it's made with the same core ingredients as the protein bars. And the new nut butters include a base of nuts, peanuts or almonds, egg whites and dates. And the flavors are going to be honey, cinnamon, peanut butter, peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. And for our Socks Machine listeners, if you would like to try RX Bar or if you're already RX Bar fan because you buy it at Protein Bar or at Starbucks, if you go to rxbar.com slash socks and enter promo code SOCKS, you not only get 25% off your first order, but for a limited time, every order will receive six free samples, three of the new RX Bar flavors and three of the new RX Nut Butters. And the free sample offer ends on June 30th. So again, go to rxbar.com slash socks, enter promo code SOCKS for 25% off your first order, and you get an opportunity to try the new flavors as well. Robinson Cano suspended for 80 games, and he will miss the 2018 postseason. I have two thoughts about this big news, Jim. Mm -hmm. One, it is crushing. Two, it will be a kick in the balls if Gordon Beckham starts a postseason game for the Seattle Mariners at second base. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that was my thought. That was my thought. Just like, yeah, Gordon, he's had such a charmed career, like basically makes it through his entire arbitration years, like with a steady major league job, you know, gets bailed out to Atlanta to go home for a year, signs out the, he jumps onto the giants, even though he wasn't eligible for the postseason, at least jumped onto a contender at the very end. You know, now he's got a golden opportunity. So like even he, he should have not washed out by now, but you know, should have been in that, um, you know, veteran, middle infielder, the Jake Elmore role, where he just kind of bounce around AAA to AAA, Steve Lombardozzi, that kind of thing. And he just keeps finding himself getting chances. And so, yeah, it's it's remarkable. And, yeah, I don't have any uh, – yeah, at this point, I guess, you know, if he did somehow figure it out and be adequate, you know, I think it's too far past his White Sox career to be meaningful in any way. But, yeah, just be – it would be just remarkable if it happened. But, yeah, it's a shame because, you know, Cano is uh, – you know, one of my favorites to watch just, you know, around the league is you, know, you kind of uh, I think of him as a lot as a guy I'd like to see the White Sox have in that he makes baseball look easy and effortless and such. And, you know, maybe depending on you know how long he's been doing this, maybe don't want him to you know achieve it that way. But, you know, just the style of play I've always long enjoyed. And so it's just kind of a shame that, you know, it had to happen to him. The way I look at PDs today for the players being caught I think for a player like Robinson Cano, it's whatever substance that he's masking or hiding. Because again, he got caught by using a masking agent and Major League Baseball hasn't released on what they have found. But Robinson Cano has been appealing their test findings since opening day. So this has been going on for months now into the season. And I just think that, you know, PDs help players above the age of 30 stay on the field. Yeah. And it allows Robinson Cano. I don't think it gives him improvement in performance. It just allows Cano to stay on the field. And this is where, as I get older in my younger days, Jim, I would be really upset because it's like, oh my gosh, PDs, you are a fraud. But back to baseball being entertainment, 
I don't want to see Gordon Beckham play second base for the <laughs> Seattle Mariners. I want to see Robinson freaking Cano. And if Cano's got to pump himself with PEDs and as long as it's healthy for him and it's not going to be detrimental for how long he's going to live, I'm starting to feel like I'm okay with this. Yeah, I think there eventually um, there will be a – They'll find a balance to where um, they'll look back at the hysteria of the you know, last 15 years or so and say, like, you guys were mad about great players being able to be greater or you know, be on the field to be great and entertain you. That's kind of where I'm at right now. And, and I think there's probably a balancing act between, you know, um, you know, perhaps codifying it, you know, allowing stuff that does not have adverse effect on health or maybe can be better you know, figured out to know what will affect, you know, what has a bigger impact at, for youth athletes and such you know, that you don't want them using, but, you know, might be okay for uh, adults or, you know, might be okay for every. I think there's going to be, there's got to be like a knowledge discovery period where people figure out that, you know, it's not a bad thing to have guys performance enhanced you know, to a certain degree if it's done under certain conditions or with certain you know substances that end up being not dangerous you know so i think there will be you know something to it to where there you know there will be middle ground and there won't be it won't be like the wild west where you just have all these kind of you know mystery drugs coming in and out and who knows what it does and um right. you know side effects but i think you know as medicine progresses as science progresses and um you know there are more cases i, I think there might be you know, for performance enhancing drugs that maybe are okayed by everybody realize like, okay, we've had it long enough there, you know, years aren't being taken off of lives. Um, yeah. Well-being and physical health aren't being you know compromised in any way. So we can have this and now we'll have older players being able to perform longer and, you know, have your stars and have your fans be happy with free agent signings. And I think there's a lot to like, you know, ultimately, but I can understand wanting to crack down and not wanting, you know, you know all things legal or all things okay or, um, you know, looking the other way. But yeah, I think it, it's going to take maybe a decade or two before you're, there's some kind of reckoning and, uh, realization that, you know, ultimately what we're complaining about is, a better product in a way. Right. I think it's just, there's so much player outcry, right? Cause Frank Thomas went on a tirade yesterday on Fox sports, really upset about Robinson Cano being suspended for 80 games. And listen, the punishment's pretty severe. This is half a season without pay. So when you're a player like Robinson Cano, that's like $11 million that he's not making. So he's already going through a severe punishment and, you know, for for Thomas, I, I get it because he went to the Hall of Fame and he did it clean. But I'm sorry, Big Hurt. If there was a drug that could heal your broken foot, I'd rather have you watched you in the 2005 postseason yeah. rather than watch you throughout the first pitch. And that's all you contributed to the White Sox World Championship. I feel as a White Sox fan that I got robbed. Or I feel like all baseball fans have been robbed from Ken Griffey Jr., or even a more recent example, Miguel Cabrera, who has now gone on record saying that he's not going to play hurt anymore because he doesn't feel like he's being appreciated by the Detroit Tigers. Uh, if there is a way that we can have these great players when they go into their mid-30s and allow them to stay on the field, and I don't think there's any drug that's going to allow them to continue playing at a high level, 
I think with their natural talent and they were what made them great already will maybe help them still be good players. Uh, but again, from my perspective, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to be more lenient with this type of stuff because for a team like the Seattle Mariners, Jim, who have not been to the postseason since 2001, I mean, this is a big blow. I, they have to find somebody else at second base because you cannot go to the postseason with Gordon Beckham as your starting second baseman because God willing, the White Sox have tried. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, we'll talk about the AL Central craziness on Monday's show. We'll get to that topic on Monday because it'll be interesting to see where the division stands. Uh, again, the Indians are in first place. They're at 500 at 21 and 21. The Twins are at 18 21. The Tigers won the series against the Indians. The Tigers are 19 and 23. Uh, the Royals are 13 and 30, and the White Sox are 10 and 29. Also for Monday show, we'll have from 670 to score Joe Ostrowski on the podcast to talk about the major announcement uh, from the Supreme Court to overrule the federal ban on sports gambling. Uh, and Joe is very wise in this topic, so we'll talk about what this ruling could mean if states allow sports books. Uh, to be operated legally and how it could impact as far as Major League Baseball. Uh, So that should be a good show for Monday, and we'll have those topics that you can be looking forward to. That will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone uh, that jumped on and listened to us live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get a chance to listen to us do the live streams, no worries. We upload every recording onto the podcast feed, which you can find us on iTunes, audioboom.com slash Sox Machine, Spotify, and the Google Play Music Store for the Android smartphone users. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Your business may be small, but you've got big goals. Brother Laser Printers can help you succeed, no matter the space, task, or budget. From crisp black and white to vivid full color, our printers offer affordable quality you can trust. Plus, fast printing and high page yields make them ideal for home offices and shared workspaces. It's no wonder Brother is the number one retail brand in laser printer unit sales in the U.S. With Brother at your side, go from small to do it all. Shop now at brother-usa.com laser. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.